My guest today is author Brandon Sneed. He is the author of the book Sooner that just came out August 25th, 2020, a week ago, The Making of a Football Coach. He also wrote the book Head in the Game, The Mental Engineering of the World's Greatest Athletes, and he's written for Bleacher Report, ESPN, Outside, GQ, and other publications. His work has been recognized multiple times in Best American Sports Writing, and he has been a finalist for the Living Livingston Award. His website is brandonsneed.com, and you can check him out on Instagram and Twitter at Brandon Sneed. He also wrote a non-sports uh, story about a woman known as the Bear Lady who lived among the bears in the woods for 20 years while fighting poachers that threatened them. And apparently it's a true story. And another thing that he's wrote, written that's been really cool, uh, he wrote the first season of Why Sports Matter, the narrative podcast from Religion of Sports, the company founded by Gotham Chopra, Deepak Chopra's brother, or I think his son actually, uh, Tom Brady and Michael Strahan. So the first thing when we get started in a conversation, he actually asks about me and what is my podcast about, which uh, was very humbling. And uh, so if you haven't heard my intro or if you or how I really got into starting the podcast and and getting into health coaching and all those um, passions and interests, you can hear it as it is now another twist with how Brennan Sneed's uh, first book, Head in the Game, played a pivotal role in um, what in, in noticing what what I'm really passionate and what I really enjoy learning about. And uh, as you'll hear in the beginning of the interview, uh, reference to quote unquote, this stuff uh, is a term that Brennan used to define these cutting edge technologies and practices and tools that household elite athletes from your Tom Brady and LeBron James have been using to help uh, athletes transform not only their sport performance, but their life in general. And as a coach myself with this focus, you can connect the dots to see how this book connected with me. I hope you enjoy this awesome interview. How's it going? Good, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Appreciate you doing this, man. No, I appreciate you. I didn't uh, realize until um, I think the other day that the book just came out today. Yeah. It's awesome. I, uh, wow. I, I really had a great time reading it. Glad it's out, nervous it's out, all that good stuff. Yeah. Tell me about you. <clears throat> I was gonna say, just tell me about you a little bit. Like, what are you, what's your, what are you doing over there? What are you trying to build with um, your podcast and everything? Yeah, so my podcast is called Ebb and Flow. And um, so one of the things, uh, I'd say probably in 2017, 2018, um, when I came across your book, Head in the Game. Yeah. Um, I was, so I played college basketball in Dallas and I currently live in Houston. Oh, nice. And uh, I had similar, let's say problems that you talk about in Head in the Game. You know, like crushing it in practice, you know, coaches saying you got all the physical skills, but something there is mental. And I felt like that was just kind of like left under the bus, you know, like, hey, like you would tell me this thing, but then, okay, how can I improve it? Cause I like, I've always been in love with, you know, getting better, getting better. And, um, you know, that was kind of college career to say short. I had, I had a concussion 
January, I think it was 2018 or so. Oh, and, but I, huh? I said, oh, geez, concussions suck. Yeah, that was the second injury because I and I redshirted from a foot injury before that, and um, I didn't get it checked out though for like two months because you know as hard ass athletes, you know I'm not getting out of the game. Uh, so it wasn't until like that April of that year that um, I was like, I would be present and then I would like get into class and be like, how did I get here? And that started kind of creeping me out. Um, so just kind of like fast forward a little bit. Um, that summer, I was getting ready to play my fifth year of eligibility at the school and earn my master's degree. But I just had this strong intuition, you know, after reading uh, your book and other things that I was like learning more about, you know, this stuff that you talk about. Um, and it was just like fascinating to me because I've always been interested on like a subtle level. I feel like growing up, like what are other people thinking? Like, what is this athlete thinking that's making him better? Because they say to work hard and I'm in the gym four to, eight, four to eight hours a day. What the hell's the difference? And, you know, cause I'm the one supposed to be interviewing you here. Um, <laughs> that led me to, um, I went that summer to help out. Um, have you ever heard of Tamir Goodman? He was dubbed the Jewish Jordan. That's somebody you actually might want to write about. Uh, his cool story. I helped him out at his basketball camp in Jerusalem. And, um, when I came back though and was starting to get ready for uh, graduate school, uh, I had, the, like I said, this strong intuition, it's not something I want to be doing. Yeah. And uh, I got out of that. I got out of um, basketball at the school and decided to, and started asking myself, you know, what was it that I loved so much about this game of basketball? And to yeah. me, and to me, it was this, the zone, the flow state. Yeah, yeah. And I honestly feel that I can more so than like the game of basketball itself, because if it was so much basketball, you know, I'd probably be as active and engaged on the bench because it's the game. Yeah. But I, but I wasn't necessarily, there's, you know, there's ego and growing up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but essentially I, to sum it all up, I believe we can live life in that kind of way. So I focus that yeah. as my intention and um, that's why the podcast is like ebb and flow because yeah. to get in that flow state, you know, where any kind of ebb moment, whether it's God forbid a traumatic thing or, you know, somebody just calls you a jerk on the basketball court, yeah. it doesn't phase you because you got that vision, you know how to be present, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's just a little bit about the podcast. It also led me to, uh, coaching and a coaching certificate health coaching certification but nice thanks for asking it's uh it's cool stuff to <clears throat> yeah like i always i keep having this i mean ever since i wrote that book i keep having these urges to do more with it and i keep talking myself out of it and then you know i just kind of move on because like i mean i love stories you know i didn't want to just yeah. be about mental engineering stuff but anytime i start talking to somebody who's interested in it like i just i love talking about it I love uh -huh. hearing about it. so i'm gonna try to figure out something else to do with it well, you wrote about like in um, the mind section, probably one of my favorite sections in Head in the Game, about George Mumford. I heard about called Global Mindfulness 2.0, and they had him, uh, Phil Jackson, and John Kabat-Zinn. 
Yeah. That was, it was just a cool conversation because they were also talking about more behind the scenes type of stuff that the last dance didn't necessarily accomplish. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. It's on YouTube. So I highly, highly recommend watching it. Brandon, it's a pleasure having you on today. And uh, I've been a fan of your work for quite some time. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to start before diving into the two books we're going to talk about today, Head in the Game and Sooner. I'd love to first hear a little bit more about yourself, how you came, went from really playing sports to writing. And as you wrote in the last line of Sooner, stories are what make us who we are, both individually and as a species. And I'm yeah. grateful to be part of the group telling them. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, really, um, the writing and the stories, the love of stories, and I began when I was a kid. Um, short version of that is just stories were a place I could go where things made sense and where um, I could just kind of escape for a little while and also learn about the world and life uh, just by stepping into other people's lives, whether it was fiction or nonfiction. Um, and I just loved, I've always loved learning and thinking and just trying to, yeah, just figure life out for like a better term. Um, it's something that I need to like dial back. Sometimes I can actually like live life instead of always trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, and so the sports happened. I just, I grew up in a neighborhood full of boys who played sports. I mean, grew up across the street from the local division one basketball coach and his mm -hmm. son who was a year older than me and my younger brother loved sports and especially basketball and basketball might've actually been my favorite sport. Um, growing up and uh, but I just I got pretty good at baseball especially in high school so played that uh, through college until um, like I write about in head in the game you know started just struggling a lot I'd always kind of struggled with the mental just being basically just being able to chill out enough to play well yeah like, I understood the game but I would just panic um, you know it was great uh, in practices I mean had a lot of power as a you know batting practice hitter um, and would have these really good games here and there, but in college especially, like I just got really just in my head and just could not relax. I was just putting too much pressure on myself and all that. And so baseball didn't go the way I thought it would. Um, Cause I thought I'd go pro in it and I didn't. And um, you know, but writing is what I'd always loved. And so got into journalism in college um, because they actually, they told me if you, I knew I wanted to major in something to do with writing. I wasn't yeah. super excited about doing more English. I'd taken a lot of honors English classes in high school and just was kind of tired of that kind of writing. And, you know, I didn't hate it. I just was tired of it and was curious what else was out there. And they told me when I was signing up for classes or deciding to major, I don't remember when, but at some point I was told if you major in journalism, you don't have to take any more math classes. And so that sounded great because I'd taken some honors math classes and was really burned out on math. And um, so, yeah, I did that and it, uh, it, and then lo and behold, uh, you can get paid to learn about the world and write about it. And so just kind of got hooked, uh, especially just telling other people's stories um, was really, I just, I learned, I just, I love, just went back to that childhood love of learning, especially through stories, especially through, I just, I love sitting down and talking to people who've, you know, lived a interesting life or have done something interesting and are willing to honestly you know just kind of talk about it at length yeah. and in depth and uh so you know i'd always thought it'd be a fiction writer and like i actually write a lot of fiction too it's just i don't feel like any of it's good enough to try to publish yet but it's um 
yeah, it's just, uh, I've just really fell in love with the journalism stuff, talking to people and writing about them. What kind of um, stuff would you write? Like, uh, did you love reading about? Because then, like you said, kind of another thing that stuck out and resonated with me in the head in the game is like, you even kind of tried getting baseball out of your head at one point. And yeah. it's like, did it, did it kind of just seem like, it was there okay maybe I should just write about that let me connect the stories with the sports like what is it about the sports that really just because sometimes to me too it's like I love the metaphor aspect and it's yeah. like it's like one of the best you know analogies for life and it brings community together uh, you know there's so many great things but sometimes I'm like well is it can I really help through through sports yeah um for me, it just a lot. I just think sports are just such a natural area for storytelling. Um, I saw a writer I like a lot, Shea Serrano, on Twitter. I think it was he was talking about like I'm gonna butcher the way he said this. But I think he was saying, basically his idea was that sports are kind of like watching your favorite movie over and over again, but you don't know the ending. Uh, the ending changes every time, something like that. And that's there's a lot to that. It's, it's the same kinds of characters. It's the same general. The same stuff is generally going to happen, but the details are always going to be different. And um, I think there's a lot to that. And plus, I mean, it's just to be, especially if you're trying to be really good at a sport. I mean, it's just you're, it, if you're doing it right, I think that you have to, you absolutely have to be pushing yourself, not just as an athlete, but as a person and a human being. I mean, you have to be willing to keep growing and you have to have all these good human traits that a lot of athletes forget to grow, which is you got to be humble enough to keep changing and evolving and learning and all that. And I think that's really interesting too. And that's where like my favorite stories when I was writing full-time for Bleacher Report, especially like my favorite stories were just, I mean, about these guys who, you know, they'd found success and then they'd had some drop off for one, other, one reason or another and they'd had to find their way back. And it always came back to that. Like something had to change for them as a human being for them to change and improve and get better as an athlete. And that was, that's just profound to me. Plus it's just fun. <laughs> it's just sports are fun. Yeah. And the stories you can tell them are really fun. Um, you know, it's just a nice combination of just human drama with escapism, I think. Uh, and I think that's why I love it. I like that quote that you shared because, uh, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, we're making the transition, you know, going from playing uh, in college and then in, honestly, like implementing a lot of different stuff you talk about in um, Head in the Game and we'll transition, but like, the meditation, the visualization, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, there was one point the game looks like, okay, it's like just, a, it kind of looked to me like a board game per se, but then you look at it another way and you, you cause the game is still like connected you so much. And then it did, it, it does look to me more like a, a play now or like a movie. But like you said, you don't necessarily know the ending. That's very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, t uh, can we can you walk us through kind of how it all transitioned to how you first heard about all the this stuff, as you call in the book and what led to, to writing the book? And since we'll be talking about multiple books today, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the breakdown of the book that, and what you'd love to share about it. Uh, yeah, so Head in the Game, I just, uh, I had gotten an agent, we were talking about different book ideas, and I wanted to write about, like, the science of fear and performance, and he was like, well, 
fear is kind of a downer, but maybe there's something interesting going on with, you know, basically this idea of like helping athletes get better mentally. Um, and so I just, I looked into that for a while and I mean, kind of like I laid out in the book, it just led to this whole world of, I mean, not only are people kind of looking into that, they're actively creating technology to enhance it. They're doing all kinds of basically science experiments to learn how to do it better. And a lot of this stuff is, you know, uh, resonating with ancient philosophies and ways of finding peace and improving performance and all that. And so I just, I just really geeked out on it. Plus I, I just, I needed it a lot. Um, I mean, I was, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff in life and just wasn't handling it great. And, you know, the things I learned about as I was researching this book and writing, it helped me a lot too. Um, and still do, um, I mean more now than ever really the last couple of years. And so it was just, uh, it started off with, you know, I want to write about this cool world, you know, that nobody knows about in sports, but also just really, it really hit me hard, like how much this can actually help just people in general. Um, and, so that's just, that was basically what drove me through it. Um, especially when like, I, I thought I'd get to talk to a lot more athletes and stuff than I did. And a lot of, you know, initially agreed to and then changed their minds and stuff. And I think I was just a few years early on it as far as being able to talk to them because now everybody's talking about it or not everybody, but it's becoming more so mainstream. Yeah. And, um, so that was, you know, that threw me for a loop there for a little bit, but then it was just, well, I mean, there's still a lot we can learn from what they're doing. Even if I don't get to talk to all these people I wanted to talk to and, yeah, I mean, it just, I just learned a ton as I was working on that, traveled all over, spent a lot of time with some really interesting scientists and psychologists and performance coaches and all that. And just, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's everything from this high tech stuff to, you know, science confirming how meditation works to some guys, you know, trying sensory deprivation chambers and psychedelic drugs and all this stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's a wild world and it's still fascinating to me. And I mean, there's a, it's just, I think it can transform people if they are able to find the resources they need to access some of it. Yeah. Well, since it's becoming like more and more mainstream over the past like three years, well, what kind of the, what kind of things, well, since then, since the book came out, do you see um, more and more what's still being kind of used, what's being, more mainstream to you and and are you implementing some of the stuff like the meditation yeah i think the main thing that is becoming more mainstream is i mean one just being willing to talk about it whether it's amongst each other or with a you know professional therapist or psychologist or performance coach or whatever they want to call them now um and meditation is a big part i mean you've got several meditation apps that athletes talk about using so I think those are, and the idea of mindfulness, I think those are kind of the main things that are going mainstream. I'm sure there's more, I haven't been as like in plugged in to that world. Uh, so I'm not sure what the latest is as far as what they're doing, but uh, it's funny that we're talking about this now because I have been getting the urge to look back into it more. So we'll see. Um, That's meditation does, bro. Yeah. But, um, I mean, and then, yeah, personally, like, I'm really inconsistent with what works for me. Uh, I've learned the best thing I can do is to just not force myself to do anything and just kind of listen to my gut on a day-to-day -day basis. All right, what do I need today? Cause it's like, mm -hmm. in my heart, I, I went through like, 
I've always tried, like I've wanted a routine. Like I want, you know, you read about these people, these great morning routines, these great daily routines. Like I would always try to create one. Like I'm going to get up, meditate, even just 10 minutes. I'm going to do this, do that, work out well. And it's like, I would do great for a week or two. And then if I missed a day or two, like then I'd start beating myself up. And like, it's just, and so finally I just said, you know, I got to say F it. And I'm going to do, I'm going to wake up. If I feel like I got to get up early and get stuff done, I'm going to get up early and get stuff done. I feel like I need to sleep. I'm gonna so I just think the biggest thing that's helped me is just realizing like you have all these options any given day, what you might need is going to change by the day. Um, I don't know if that makes me weird or just human. I think it's probably some mix of the two, but for me, it's just, yeah. So like I'll do meditations. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go weeks in a row where I'm doing something every day. Um, other times the main thing that helps me is working out, working out and just getting, <clears throat> I mean, if I can get up, or if I get a good workout in at some point in the day, like that's better to me than, I mean, that's still that my silver bullet is just getting a good, either whether it's a run or a bike ride, or I've been able to go to the gym in months cause of COVID, but um, you know, so I'm missing that, but the gym used to be like, that was therapy. Um, I mean, I still have a therapist. I like, I'll talk to him pretty regularly, um, things like that. But yeah, I just, for me, the thing I learned is like, all right, here's what's available. Don't beat yourself up if you don't, do any of it perfectly or have a perfect routine or anything like that and just kind of listen to your body and listen to your mind and they'll tell you what you need what helps you get in the uh the flow state for writing good music uh coffee sometimes a cigar with the coffee um not too much um but every once in a while a cigar will help actually i don't like i hate smoking cigarettes but like there's something about like nicotine and coffee like i went through a phase where i would like just chew the nicotine gum you know like there's not a whole lot of harmful material to that. Um, you know, uh, that, and usually like, again, if I get a good workout in, that helps a lot, but I'm pretty inconsistent with that, especially these days. Um, really it's just, I mean, especially like getting this last book done sooner cause it was on a really tight deadline. Like I just had to sit down and even on days where I just felt like I wasn't in any kind of a flow at all. You just sit down and do the work. Um, to me like that, that's been the biggest key is like not needing to feel good to just do good work um, learning that that's possible it's interesting a lot of uh not only writers but athletes and other people say that you know even when we got to just you can't wait for the flow and or the inspiration to show up you got to just be there yeah i mean it's just, it's kind of like i mean i again before covid like i mean it, not, one of my favorite ways to work out was just go play pick up basketball for a few hours once or twice a week and I mean, it's, you know, it's the same thing, like doing that, like, you're not always going to like feel awesome when you walk into the gym, but like, you just start playing and like, give it 10 minutes, you're going to be good. Like, sometimes you just got to get loosened up and you're not going to get there until you just get started. Yeah. Are there any new um, things you've, you've looked into, you know, maybe like cold therapy? Uh, I don't remember if you wrote about that in, or not. No, I wasn't aware of that when I was writing this, that was new to me over the last couple of years. Um, you know, this, yeah. Like, so I haven't, I haven't done like a full on ice, like dunking yourself in the ice. Or, <laughs> I haven't been to a cryo chamber or anything. Like that, but I will do the cold showers thing where you like just sit there and just turn the water as cold as you can. Like I've actually gotten like <laughs> pretty good at that. Like I'll just it, it to where like, it bothers me for a second, but like, that's awesome because it really does. It makes your body like, I think the physiological response you have at first is you're dying. And then you just kind of go through it and you just realize I'm not going to die. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. I'll adjust. And like that, yeah, that's been pretty, that's been pretty awesome. Actually. It like helps practice the, 
the gap between the stimulus and the response. Yeah, which I need that because I can be like um, a pretty emotional guy, uh, you know, especially like, like, sorry, I'm like throwing my phone on the table right now, <laughs> messing up the audio. Um, yeah, so like, that's a good way to put it. Like, you got to build that gap between the stimulus and the response. I like that. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, I'll still like, I'll take some supplements, nothing crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'll take, I think every day, like generally I try to every day, you know, some ashwagandha roots, some bacopa um some magnesium and maybe some holy root basil or holy basil root uh, that kind of stuff um but nothing like i mean i went through a phase where i was like trying all this stuff like it's super intense and like you know you can follow these people online that i think for a while like i really bought into like you gotta do everything all the, like the people online who have like these big oh, you gotta try all that. and yeah it's fine like you gotta explore and figure stuff out but i just kind of realized i mean there's you know you just gotta figure out what works best for you and that's the way you do it, it's just trying a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I think the, the cold showers actually do um, lower your bro uh, brain waves. It gets you into more of like, a, I think, even a lower beta or alpha state. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to, right? To, yeah. If you're going to like, it, unless you just jump right out. But like, uh -huh. yeah, to like stay in there, you have to, everything has to kind of calm down and slow down. Yeah. I got this book recently uh, called Conscious Breath, Conscious Breathing. I haven't read it just yet, but it also, it's so much focusing on the nasal breath. So it comes with this like relaxator device. Okay. And then like sleep tape. It's pretty interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah. All, all this other, all this other kind of stuff. Breathing's a big one. Like it's helped me a lot too. Like I didn't think about it because now it's just gotten more natural. But like, yeah, like I would just practice like, different breathing patterns that like calm you down um and that works as well as like any supplement or pill like in a in you know in a, in a moment it's like just certain breathing techniques that slow your mind down and calm you right down uh yeah. so breathing's a big one too for sure i'll have to i, I love it's weird, to sorry, like it's, it's weird like we don't know how to breathe like you don't get taught how to breathe uh anyway <laughs> that's what we could go on for that too yeah. I'd love to share some different resources and whatnot, uh, whether whether it's like supplements, nutrition, uh, uh, to you after as well. But um, one thing I really enjoy, you know, is the great coaches, you know, whether it's Phil Jackson or um, who are you talking about in here about this, the Seahawks, the Seahawks coach, you know, he has that philosophy, a happy, a happy player is more productive um transitioning a little bit to sooner did you see in lincoln riley who the book is about for everyone listening the ou coach did you see a lot of what you researched and learned and head in the game did he when you first started uh learning about him which i'd love to hear also a bit more about because you were at ecu for grad school yeah. Was he implementing a lot of these similar approaches or philosophies that Head in the Game talks about? I never talked to him specifically about anything like that. Um, but generally, the way that he approaches coaching seems really in line with good psychology. Uh, just in the fact that he he looks for what his players need instead of making them do what he thinks they need. 
Um, you know, and so that, I mean, applies to just the conversations he has with them, the way he runs practices. I mean, it just across the board, like he looks for ways to make them feel, I mean, it's not even that he's looking for ways to make them feel, it's he, he respects them and he cares about them and they feel that. And that comes through the ways that he treats them. He, he's a football coach, but kind of the, I feel like the old school way of being a football coach was just, it was almost militaristic or uh, authoritarian almost where it's just like hey here's what we're doing you do it or you're out and now um, and Lincoln's one of the better ones I think at this is you know it's just very much about working with your players strengths and building on their weaknesses but generally like working with them instead of making them work for you and I think that makes them a lot I just think that's what the current generation needs I think that it's really the way to go I think it connects with them and I mean, clearly, it seems to work for him. Yeah, I think we both uh, wish we had a coach like that. <laughs> yeah, I had one. Um, I had one. I mean, I've had some good coaches, but and it's like, you know, when I was younger, like, I'd get kind of bitter about it. Like, oh, how come you just didn't? But it's like, I mean, coaches are the same as everybody else. They only know what they know. Yeah. They're all doing their best with what they got to work with. And some players do well with that, you know, kind of authoritarian, uh, that kind of stuff. And you know, but I was the kind of player, and I think a lot of players are just kind of, they need a coach. They feel like actually, you know, sees them as a person and treats them as such. And um, just, they get it. They understand that a lot of those old, I think what I'm trying to say is a lot of those older school coaches, just, they just don't have a feel for or really understand when a player is being a head case. They're just kind of like, the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you know. That's why I like, I like how we were talk, talking a little bit earlier that, um, you know, and even one of the coaches told Lincoln in the book you wrote about, you know, you can only, you can only help them so much and they're the ones on the field. So like if we go back to when we were talking about how it's kind of like a stage play or a movie, you know, the, the, the director isn't the one getting onto the, uh, the set. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it, man. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like to me when I was reading it uh, about Lincoln Riley, um, also, I felt like it was kind of like perfect timing for me because I wasn't aware of this book and I'm not so much of a college football fan yeah. uh, anymore, really. Um, but when, you t when, when I found out you had this new book, you know, I've kind of been making that transition still from playing to, to coaching. And yeah. I had coached this past year and it was like I was so resistant to it. I was like, no, because of this 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 uh, faulty or limited belief, you know, like, oh, if I can't play, I'll coach. But that's not, that's not really like true. So one, I, w I really wanted to appreciate you for, for writing this work about him and, and, and letting it kind of get out there more about what, what I think is he's living up to what the actual true definition of what a coach means. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's a lot of what drew me to it too. I mean, it's I mean, I, I like college football fine. Like, I don't, I understand. Like, you know, I was talking to you know a writer friend of mine who I like respect a lot the other day, and he just he hates college football and all that. And it's just you know a lot of people just hate it. Um, and so I don't hate it. I understand the people who do though, uh, because there's a lot. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, it can be really really frustrating. Um, so I understand it, but at the same time. Uh, I mean, these kids love playing it and they're going to play it. And 
they're not going to stop playing it just because there's lots of problems around the people and the ways that college sports and particular college football are kind of managed these days. And I mean, the NCAA, it's, it's like trying to turn a, you know, gigantic ship. I think it's going to change eventually, but it's just going to take time. And in the meantime, players are going to play and they need good coaches. And, you know, that's where, you know, that's what kind of pulled me through. was just the human stuff going on with all of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's so, you think about like what college is like, I mean, it's such a transformative time. Um, and so to have like a coach that can treat you like a person and help you be great at the sports you love, um, I don't know, it's just, there's something really invaluable about that. And so that's what was, that was one of the things that really drew me to his story is just how he became that. And then it's just, I mean, it's just a great story. Uh, yeah. it, it reminds me of like my, some of my favorite movies, the way the book unfolds and the way Lincoln's story unfolds. I mean, just this, all the different things he went through and how he changed as a result of them and now how he's able to help transform players because of it. Has he been able to, um, from what you've learned from him and like, did the, how do we, I guess one question I'm curious about and, and one like driving question is, you know, how do we help the athletes of the future professional and below actually take the lessons that sports are there to teach us and implement into life. And so like, he's this excellent coach and very personable. He has so much empathy with the players and he adapts his, he has a flexible approach with like the offense, but does it kind of, does a lot of it transition to helping the players performance, you know, off the coach, off the field, off the court, after the, after the after the game because you know even if you're the best the game comes to uh an end of, of for playing wise mm -hmm. yeah um i i think that you know at the end of the day um you still gotta take care of yourself off the field whether you're playing a game or i mean in in work i mean you gotta take care of yourself you can't the best, usually the best, most successful people aren't, you know, they're going to take care of their bodies. They're not going to, you know, they're going to have some fun, but they're not going to be partying all the time. They're going to have a good balance of being healthy and, you know, being a human, having a fun time with life. But I mean, you also have to put in the work. And I think that's what, that's one of the bigger lessons I think sports teaches, um, especially at that age. And that can teach you going on to build a career after is, I mean, a lot of those same lessons hold true. I mean, you put in work in the weight room, you get stronger. You see that over time. It doesn't happen overnight. And I mean, that's true in a career. It's true in relationships and all that. I mean, it's, there's always that lightning bolt kind of a character that shows up and they're just great for absolutely no reason. Uh, but that's pretty rare. Um, usually it's just, I think that's one of the biggest lessons is just put in the work and trust the work and just also, I think there's a lot more than just being resilient in the face of change. Um, you know, it can, there's a lot that sports has to teach. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, just you got to know yourself and trust yourself and do what's right for you. And working out a million hours a week works for some guys. Some guys, you need to learn to, they would have benefited me a lot to chill out <laughs> a little yeah. bit in college and just relax and then realize, I mean, I already, I've got talent. I don't need to, you know, you need to work hard and be disciplined, but like it can become unhealthy like anything else. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm answering your question well. Just kind of. No, you're, what, what I'm, yeah. what I'm, was it, what I was kind of getting at is I feel like, I feel like because 
I noticed it in myself, especially when I decided to uh, be done playing. And that means I feel like I'm very keen and to able to observe that in a lot of other athletes in that, in that the game isn't like we were talking about earlier, a play. It's, it's not an, it's, it's not an art thing. It's, it became, it became an escape. It, yeah. it became an identity, which then leads to making it really difficult and challenging to then translate what you're supposed to learn or what's, what's intended to be taught in sports to then, well, then how do I take that and put this into life? Well, what's life? I thought basketball was, I thought that was my life kind of thing. So that's what I appreciated with reading about uh, Lincoln is it sounds like his approach being flexible with and, and, and personable with the players is it's actually helping them with their performance off the field. I don't know. I wanted, I wanted to see if that's kind of what you're were able to, to pick up and, and resonate a lot with. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you look at the story of Baker Mayfield. Um, and he's a good example of that. I mean, Baker, he's, he was a hothead in college. He still is a little bit, you know, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing. Same as being too cool and too level-headed can be a bad thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Baker, he, I mean, he had that arrest, right? Uh, he got arrested for being a drunk fool basically one night, which, I mean, most of us have been there and uh, he, he happened to, you know, whether literally or figuratively, most of us have had, you know, a situation where we, we weren't our best selves and it, it got us hurt and got us into some trouble one way or another. Um, and in Baker's case, it happened to, you know, happen in front of the whole world uh, basically. And, Lincoln, uh, and he had a few other instances like that with, you know, grabbing his crotch at Kansas State and things like that. I and mean, this Baker's gonna, he was, he was, he's a character. Um, but Lincoln, I think he understood that, I mean, Baker also, he has a way, like, he'll do something, or back then, you know, he, he would do something kind of stupid, but he would also recognize it really quickly. You didn't have to beat him over the head with the fact that he had messed up, you know. Um, and you could see that even in small moments with him. Like there was one moment after, you know, his career was over, he won the Heisman and he's preparing for the draft and he and Lincoln were at a basketball game and Baker's sitting there complaining about all these trips he has to take to take all these awards, to accept all these awards and how they don't play in them. Well, he's just sitting there complaining about having to take too many trips at one time to take awards. And so Lincoln just just looks at him and smirks and, and says, yeah, it's, it's tough winning all them awards, ain't it? And that's all he had to say. So you could see it like in Baker's face and everything immediately. Like it's just, he realized he was being a bit of a, bit of a jackass and he like, he, he just laughed and shook his head. And so like, you know, it's, you know, you, you can recognize that like he throughout his career, whether it was with the arrest or with the Kansas state situation and others, you know, he, he knew Baker didn't need to be like, punished into submission he needed to be disciplined he needed to be coached and he needed to be led uh but he didn't need to be uh berated he didn't need to be basically he didn't need to be beaten up about it like he knew when he messed up he didn't mean to mess up he's just he's an impulsive guy yeah he's gonna say something and he's gonna do something sometimes i mean there's there, the strength of that too is it gets his team really fired up i mean there's a lot of positives to it too and lincoln recognized that. i was like you don't want to that was part of what made baker great is he that brings a different kind of energy that you don't get from you know a guy who's more level-headed you know they have their strengths too but like there's something just really fun and exciting and 
about playing with a guy who's as fiery and passionate as Baker is. He's gonna he's gonna step in it here and there, but you know he needs to be he needs to have some slack. He doesn't need to be kept on a leash all the time. Man. It sounds it's, like yeah. it sounds like it's also um, with with Lincoln kind of there and Baker like with those you know silly um, actions that he's done. Uh, he's still able to like be himself yeah exactly that's, yeah that's why like it's like okay he does this stupid thing like the crotch uh yeah. and but he he like immediately recognizes it or hopefully uh, i mean the thing about that like that's all of us like lincoln said yeah. this was like you know 99 percent of you is awesome you know and it's like that's all of us it's just it's a different personality yeah it just happens to be in baker's case it's the kind of personality that gets attention when you mess up, it's going to get attention. We all mess up. Just a, mm -hmm. a lot of people mess up in ways that don't get attention. But you still messed up. Bakers just happen to be types of mistakes that got a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't like, you know, there's, yeah. It's, uh, I just think, you know, Lincoln just did a good job of recognizing what he needed. Uh, and I think that what made it, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm making Lincoln sound like Jesus or anything like that. He's, he's a dude. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just think it's, it's talking about lessons in coaching. Like he is just able to recognize what his players needed. And that just came from a place of just real. Yeah. He just really cared, you know, and that's all it came down to. He cared about them as people as much as he cared about them winning football games. Yeah. I mean, even, even more so than, than him in a sense about the story. It's, it's just, it's very meaningful and touching to, to have anybody like that in life, a coach. Yeah. Yeah. So even even like with him, like I think it was you wrote Ruffin McNeil when he was going through the, the when Lincoln was going through the struggle at ECU, you know, he, he was it him or Leach just had the 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 awareness to step back and allow him to go through it. Yeah, yeah. It that's right. another that's another thing that it takes some it takes some time for me to like realize wow i had this teacher uh you know I'll not jump in when i was going through this kind of struggle yeah yeah no i mean that that makes all the difference in the world um i mean if you're a bright guy with some talent i mean you're gonna have some passion it's you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna have rough stretches because you're figuring stuff out um and so if you have a coach who is gonna you know, bench you for figuratively or literally bench you for, you know, the next guy up. If you struggle a little bit, that's only going to make it worse for you next time you try. Cause you're like, I don't have any room for error. And like, you have to have room for error to make room for success. I think like you just, you have to be like, I think the great ones do. I think there's a lot of people who, uh, and a lot of athletes who they're really good in the middle. Um, and, but there's those ones that like, they can go a little bit farther but they're also, when they fail, it's going to be a little bit worse. And so you have to have the room for both. And, um, and that's what Ruffin gave Lincoln in that situation. It's like, yeah, you're going through a rough stretch here, but you're going to figure it out. And I think just somebody being told you're going to figure it out, that's all you need to hear. Nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to be bad at anything, you know? Um, so I think a lot, of, a lot of us could stand to hear that more. It's just you're going to be all right. Just keep going. You'll be fine. It... Um... It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by Einstein. No problem can be solved by the same consciousness that created it. Yeah. It's like trusting, okay, there is, I, I am solving this. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, making mistakes is part of solving problems. Like, nobody knows how to fix anything right away. I mean, that's like a five-year-old's mentality. You know, like, oh, I'm awesome at everything. I don't need to try anything else. You know, like, I got, you know, I got a six-year-old son. He's literally, like, playing t-ball. And I'm like, hey, do you feel like, you know, hitting a little bit? He's like, no, I already have, I already know how to hit perfect. I'm like, well, no, you don't, but okay. Make you go, go. You'll figure it out one day, you know, you know, you'll, you'll realize, but like, yeah, I mean, it's just, nobody knows how to do anything perfectly. Most of us don't know how to do anything, period. We're just all kind of flailing along. I feel like. Having, with the flow. Yeah, it's, so uh, it is. It's like, it's just, yeah, you're right. Just go, you gotta go with the flow. I mean, um, the more you try to control stuff, a lot of times, the worse you're going to make it. All right, Brandon, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to speak with me. These two books, Head in, Head in the Game and, and Sooner, Sooner just came out August 25th, day of the recording. Um, and I highly recommend people go read it. Uh, I'd love to hear a couple last, last thoughts of, uh, from yourself. What did you really learn about, uh, what did you really learn, uh, what's like a main takeaway from, from writing this story? um that you'd love to share one of the main things um there are a few uh the main one that comes to mind is just uh i think a lot about you know the, the different mistakes lincoln made were kind of based in frustrations that he expressed with anger i mean you come you know starting with like the way he hurt his shoulder in high school is he got angry so he chased down a guy who'd intercepted a pass in a scrimmage and hits him as hard as he can and dislocates his shoulder and ruins his football career. Uh, you know, and then kind of at East Carolina, it was the same thing as like, uh, you know, he was coaching kind of out of that just intense, like almost angry place of we got to work harder, we got to push through this, blah, blah, blah. And like that, that's the way I handled a lot of things when I was trying to be a baseball player. That's the way I would handle a lot of things, you know, throughout life. And like, it was just a really, really good reminder um, that, it's helped me a lot, you know, as I've written about this. And everything is just like, I mean, look, I mean, anger is a normal emotion, but it is a secondary emotion, right? That's what psychology teaches. Like, it's a, it usually comes from a sense of being sad or just frustrated that things aren't going your way. And then you can kind of choose how you react from there. And so he learned how to, you got to just, I mean, this is a game, you know, at football. Like, it's play the game. Have fun with it. Find a way to make it fun. It's not going to be fun to lose. It's not going to be fun to not do well. Um, so like, it's not like having fun is going to make you worse. You're going to find ways to do well. And I think that's true of life too. Like there's, you know, there's a difference between having fun and just like getting addicted to stuff that feels good, but is bad for you. Um, I think you know, for me anyway, that's just the thought that I've kind of carried after finishing this. And, you know, I was writing and just learning how to just remembering, just have fun, man. Like life is hard enough as it is, you don't have to make it harder on yourself by beating yourself up or working too hard. I mean, work hard, get your stuff done. If you have ambition, you know, dive into it, run with it. But if it's not fun, you're not doing something right. You know, it's not always going to be fun or feel good, but like at the end of the day, you know, it, you know whether or not you're enjoying what you're doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, just, yeah, it goes back to going with the flow, right? Like if you're not flowing with it, it's not going to feel good and fun anyway. So yeah. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's one of the biggest things, I think, is just don't get too heavy about things. Don't get too hard on yourself or the people around you. And just kind of, sometimes things don't go your way, but they're not always going to be like that. And just ride it out until things are good again. But even then, I one thing I really loved is that 
this seemingly, you know, not going his way of experience of, you know, getting the game kind of stripped away. Yeah. Ultimately kind of led to something I've, I'm sure he would have never imagined. Yeah, and that's the that's the like poetic beauty of the whole story that I love so much is I mean, yeah, like he he messed up, but like you're right, like it it's that's completely the story is it made him into something that he probably wouldn't have been otherwise. Uh, I mean, odds are he would have become a coach at some point. Odds are he would have figured out he's pretty smart and good at this coaching thing at some point, but it wouldn't have happened the way it did, and it wouldn't have happened. I don't. I, I certainly don't think it would have happened as soon as it did. Um, had it not been for that so yeah I mean that's that's a that's a lesson too is like sometimes the things we think are like the end of the world even if there are our own mistakes um, you know if we let them I mean I, I write about that kind of in the prologue too is like if you let them change you if you let them make you into something better and stronger they can uh, it's, just, it's hard to it's yeah it's going with the flow right like you, you have to let it change you if you keep holding on to what you were then you're not going to become what you could be otherwise well said. Brandon, I really appreciate it. It's nice being able to speak, speak face to face to uh, a yeah. great author like yourself. Thanks, man. No, this was fun. I appreciate you. No, it's cool. I think it's cool what you're doing, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And uh, before you go, here are a couple practical applications. Number one, think about where you, where your best teachers or coaches were in what field or study. Perhaps where you had the best teachers is where you might be called to be. Or you can see a place where you can be the coach you wish you had in an area you really love, but maybe you didn't have the best coach or teacher in that field. Number two, in what area of your life could you use guidance from a coach? Get clear on what exactly you'd want in that coach or teacher. How would they help you? What things would you work on with them? as you figure out what area you could use guidance in. Number three, what situations in your life or memories evoked frustration or anger? Like Brandon mentioned about Lincoln Riley in the book, and how can, how can you reframe looking at that event? The event that altered Lincoln's dreams of playing football actually led him to phenomenal success as a coach, something I bet he probably didn't even imagine. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out solomonezra.wixsite.com slash solomonezra. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.